Welcome to the LifePoint Palm Bay Sermon Podcast. We encourage you to make copies of this message, but please don't charge for those copies. If you'd like to know more about LifePoint Palm Bay, please visit lifepointpb.com. We're still in Ephesians chapter 4, continuing on. Today we're looking at the last of the fivefold giftings. And as we're getting settled back, would you... Would you just stop with me for a moment? I was brought to my attention that Bill and Sandy are leaving Haiti on Tuesday. Uh, It has gotten extremely, extremely difficult in Haiti. Um, And uh, no food, no water, no gasoline. Um, The inability to get any of the supplies and things that they need. They're headed back to the States on Tuesday. There will be some of the local staff, I think, that are still there in the mission, uh, in the school trying to protect, um, but that is even, it's unknown whether they'll be able to do that or not. Um, it's obviously just very, very difficult uh, in Haiti right now. And, and, and Haiti, I think, often has ups and downs, and, but this, and Bill has been there for, I think, some 25 years or so, 20, 20-something years. And I believe I heard someone say, from Bill's perspective, this is as bad as he's ever seen it, worse than he's ever seen it. And um, could we stop just for a moment? First of all, praying for Bill and Sandy's protection because um, they have to travel from the compound where the mission is to the airport. Um, that is always, uh, um, even on a good day, that can be a tricky thing in Haiti. Um, and so their safety as they come, the safety of those brothers and sisters who, will be, who, who are remaining there, Haiti is their home. And um, we're just praying for them. We're praying for... The work of God in that nation. And um, of course, we have a vested interest there because of the years that we've been in partner with uh, Good Shepherd Ministry and the, the school and the ministry there. Lord, we come to you right now. And we do, I pray for peace, first of all. I pray for Bill and Sandy that you would give them peace in all of this. I pray they'd sense your presence in the midst of the storm. Lord, I pray that you would protect, that you would guard them about, that you would fight the spiritual battle that we cannot see with our human eyes. But Lord, that we can clearly see in our spiritual eyes is waging right now. And so we pray for your angels as you guard them about. We pray that you would give, uh, just Lord, give peace and direction. Um, to them, give them safety as they travel to the airport, as they leave that place. Lord, give them, give them your word to be able to speak to those brothers and sisters who, who look to them, who love them, who serve there in that ministry. Lord, I pray that you would give them exactly the words to say. Lord, I pray for our brothers and sisters, our Haitian brothers and sisters who will be there, that's their country, that's their, that's their home. And Lord, as they try to serve you and follow you and proclaim you in a very, very broken situation, Lord, we realize that you're the master of dealing with the broken. You're the great healer. You mend, you restore, you redeem. We're asking for that. In the nation of Haiti, we're asking for you to do that. 
We're standing against every principality and power at work, and there are many in that place. But Lord, we stand against. We declare that you are greater, that you have won. And Lord, we pray that we would see that. We would see your hand at work. We'd, there'd be testimony of it. And we recognize that you don't need Bill and Sandy there to do your work. And so God, we pray that we would see your hand more clearly even as they leave. We'd see that you do what only you can do. Then, Lord, I pray you to comfort and curse their heart because I know they'll be heartbroken in not being there. And so, Lord, I pray that you'd strengthen them and encourage them. Lord, again, we don't know what to do other than to call out to you. We cannot fix this in our own strength with our own resources. So we call unto you. You are the only one. And we trust you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Ephesians chapter 4, we've been looking at these callings, these um, ministries, if you will, these gifting, ministry giftings. Chapter 4, there are five of them that are mentioned that are singled out there. There are other gifts mentioned in other places in the New Testament. So this is not an exhaustive list, but it is a list of gifts that the Apostle Paul is inspired by the Holy Spirit to give that have direct connection to the body being the body and the body walking, um, serving, ministering, growing, lifting up. And so we have the Apostle Paul listing these things through the, through the inspiration of the Spirit. And there are four that we've already talked about. The fifth one we'll look at this morning. And as we've gone through them, just kind of a quick recap. As a matter of fact, I want to share with you, I've mentioned several times a, a book that I've really enjoyed as I've been going through this study, uh, a book uh, by J.R. Wood, Woodward. And as he talks about how, uh, how the Lord makes us a missional church as we understand these, these giftings and these callings. With each one of these giftings, he put a two-word description with each one. Now, it's not exhaustive, but I think it could be helpful. And I found it helped as I went through. It caused me to stop and ponder and meditate a little bit on these two-word descriptions that he put with each one. With the apostle, he put dream awakener. The apostles are dream awakeners. In a sense, they are the ones within the body that say, you know what, this is what could be. This is where we are, but this is what could be. This is what God could do. This is what we believe God wants to do. This is a new place, a new work. Their apostles are very in tune to new disciples, making new disciples and creating new structures, new places where people can connect to the body. They are not necessarily, matter of fact, apostles would be ones who say, you know what, I've got lost friends and they're not necessarily coming into this church building. They're not coming into the church structure as we have it. But you know what? I'll meet them in a Starbucks or I will, we'll go, we'll, we'll do something that hasn't been thought of or done before. We'll gather together. We'll have conversation. We'll engage. And they love to be involved in the new, that which is going into the unknown and creating structure for that. Now, they aren't necessarily wired to just stay there for the next 20 years and say, okay, now we just settle down and, and just hang out here. Apostles, by their very nature, they get that established and they're looking around thinking, what's next? Where do we go? What's the next thing? That's the reason it's great that the Lord hooks them up with pastors and teachers because pastors and teachers generally tend to settle down. 
They're not looking out there typically at starting the next thing. They're thinking, how do you, how do you build up and strengthen what's already established? So you have the apostles, these dream awakeners. In my opinion, and I share this as my opinion, I don't think, I think that in, within the church, you probably have fewer apostles than you do the other giftings. I can't prove that biblically. It's just my opinion and my observation. You say, why do you think that? Because they have more dreams than the rest of us could ever engage and be part of. And so it doesn't take as many, quite honestly. Uh, have you been around that person? You, you've been around, the, you may not have called them a pop, but you've been around them. And it's like they have more ideas than a hundred people could ever do. They have more thoughts, more, you know, we could do this and we could do that. And what if we started this? And, what if we, and it takes a lot more of us to be able to come alongside with the apostle. It takes fewer, in my opinion, fewer apostles. It doesn't, they're vitally important. But in my perspective, and as I've watched through the years, generally you have fewer of those than you might have with some of the other giftings. The prophet, the prophets, according to Woodward, they are the heart revealers. Uh, they want to reveal God's heart and man's. They want to hear what God's saying to faithfully communicate what they hear in that. They want to hear how God's moving, what he's speaking to you. They're very concerned about his holiness, his God's holiness, his, his pure desire. It's very, very important to a prophet. And so they're very in tune, or they want to be very in tune to the heart of God, but also to the heart of man. How is the heart of man responding to what God is saying? They're the heart revealers. Again, God reveals the heart, but when we're talking about on a human, they have a great desire for this. The same is true for apostles. God gives the dream, but these are human conduits for what God wants to do. So you have apostles and you have prophets. Then you have the evangelists. Woodward describes them as the storytellers. I think storytellers. But evangelists are very attuned to this narrative, this story, this ongoing story of God. And the greatest part of that story, the heart of this story, is the gospel message. It is the good news of Jesus Christ and who he is, and that he died for the sins of mankind. That he made a way for redemption and reconciliation. This is the story. This is the best story. And they're always looking for new and creative ways. How can I connect people with this story? How can I have them hear and understand and respond to this great narrative of God that we have, this gospel message? So they are, and they are very creative usually, and very creative in how do you tell the story? Always looking for new ways to do that. You have shepherds, pastors, depending on your translation. Woodward calls them the, and, and I hesitate a little bit in this because the soul healers, um, because again, only God can heal a soul. Only he's able to do that. But here's the thing that you find about shepherds and pastors. They are wired in such a way they long to see healing of the soul. They long to see people made whole. They long to see the inner life match up with the outward testimony. 
And so, and recognizing that only God can do that, but what does God want to do? How does He want to work in people's lives? It's the reason some of you have come to me and you're very excited about a particular teaching or truth or study. And I think, yeah, that's great. That's, that sounds really good. Go do that. And somebody else comes up with a different teaching or study or truth. And, and I'll look at them and go, that sounds great. Go do that. And somebody else comes up and they have a different teaching or truth or study. And that's great too. Go do that. And you're looking at, wait a second, which one are you supporting? I'm supporting them all because I really don't care. All right. I don't care what tool God uses as long as he uses one of them or multiple ones of them to bring about healing and wholeness within people. You say, well, shouldn't you care? Maybe, but I don't. I just don't. I mean, I want to be biblical. Okay. I don't want to use, you know, something else. But, um, but aside from that, and here's the thing. Again, just so you understand different perspectives in all of this, because we all do have different perspectives. For me, truth is very much like a diamond that has many facets. And we generally tend to see one facet and think, I've got the truth. And then somebody over here sees another facet of that same diamond and says, no, I got the truth. And another sees a different facet of that same diamond. I got the truth. God sees the whole thing, creates the whole thing. He says, you've all got just a little piece. Doesn't mean it's not true. It's just a piece. The part of the shepherd, the pastoring heart, is I want to bring all of those pieces together so it brings about transformation and healing, an internal healing with people. And then we get to the teachers we're going to talk about today. Teachers. As I shared with you last week, some divide this or lump these together, pastor-teacher, as one. I don't believe that's so. Uh, again, people I admire greatly, Bible teachers, they put them together, uh, and there's reasons because of the grammatical structure why they do that. But that same grammatical structure is used, as I shared last week, earlier in Ephesians, with prophet and, and, and apostle. And we know those are two separate gifts. So, uh, I, again, I disagree that it's one. I think they're separate. And I teach it that way. So you have, you have shepherds, and then it says you have teachers. Who are the teachers? Teachers are driven by the desire to connect people to the Scripture, to connect them to the Word. It is this overwhelming desire within them. It isn't just about information. It isn't just communi communicating information. Because we think of a teacher that way. That's what a teacher does, right? We take a, a teacher in school. What are they doing? They're taking and they're communicating information. They're learning from that. But in a biblical sense within the church, it's more than just communicating information. You and I, to have this desire to realize that this is the living word. As Hebrews says, it's alive. It's able to divide asunder between soul and spirit and discern the thoughts and the intents of the heart. Just words on a page. It is words on a page, but it's more than words on a page. It's alive. And you say, what do you mean? It's just alive. And if you've never experienced it, then that's my prayer for you. Because you can be in it. And you can read something that you have read a thousand times before, but all of a sudden, alive. And you think, I never saw that before. But teachers are so wired, they want every word in that way. They want you to see it that way, to believe it's that way. I remember years ago, 
They inspire you. Teachers inspire you, not just to say, oh, that was really good. I like that. That's, have you ever heard that before? That's really good. The teacher wants to inspire you to more than that, that you'd say, is that really true? And if it is true, then what else is in here I haven't seen? And it causes you, it stirs something within you. It says, I want to dig in here for myself. I want to see what's there. I was a young man. I'll never forget. I was at a conference. I heard a guy I had never heard before. He was a Bible teacher. And he began to share a message talking about the giants in David's life. And I thought, well, there's only one giant in David's life. There's more than one giant in David's life. There were five giants in David's life. You ever wonder why David picked up five stones? Because Goliath had four brothers. And he thought he was going to have to fight them all that day. And later, if you read through the story later in David's life, much later, as he's an old man, these four giants come back around and he has to have help from his mighty men to defeat them. Each characteristics that are given to them. And there is so much spiritual truth in the names. Do you know that some of those names, giants' names means, means greed. One of the giants' names means pride. His name is Ishbibinab. This teacher was going through and he was expounding. First of all, I didn't know there were four other giants. I didn't know Goliath had any brothers. Those names meant anything. They were just names I couldn't pronounce. I didn't know they had any meaning. You know, I sat one time a different teacher. A man, Dr. Peter Blakemore had such an impact on my life when I was in my early 20s. But he pastored a little small church. By the way, do not despise the day of small things. He pastored a little small church in Cicero, in Chicago. And I remember driving down there. Uh, when, anytime I was in town, when I wasn't traveling, when I was available to do so, I, and I go to church down there. And he had such a love for the Word and a way to make you think, wow, I can't believe that's in there and I never saw it. What else is there that I haven't seen? He preached a message one time out of First Chronicles on the genealogies, and I thought, man, this is going to be a sleeper. I mean, we won't take long. I was tired anyway. I've been traveling all week. I'm like, I'm going to be asleep before he gets about five minutes into this thing. He opened it up, and it's like, I never knew all that was in there. It's just a bunch of names. I mean, how many of you have read those names, and honestly, you just skipped over them, all right? You just skipped right over them. He taught for an hour. And he could have gone on for he could have gone on for several. I was like, man, that's what teachers do. They just, they open it up and they think, wow, I never saw that in there. They want to see you connect to the word that way. There's a there's a desire within the teacher that says, I want you to connect that way. I want you to feel about it the way I feel about it. That this is more than just a book. There's life here. And so, as they're doing this. They also want you to rightly, accurately relate to the ongoing story. Let me explain what I mean by that. Do you realize our, our English Bible ends um, with Revelation, Revelation 21. That's, that's the end of ours. But the story, the, the work of God that's revealed to us in the scripture is still going on. I mean, I remember a number of years ago hearing about the group that they call themselves Acts 29. You know how many chapters are in the book of Acts? They're 28, right? So they call themselves Acts 29. Why? Because God's still writing the chapters. He's writing them in you and me. His work is still ongoing. 
A teacher understands this, but they want you and I to rightly relate to this ongoing story so that we don't go put our own interpretation on it, our own thought process, but we because of what's already been written, because of what's already been laid out for us, it's kind of like a play that's been written and there are five acts of the play, four of them have already been written, the fifth one is being written. But because you understand the four that have already been written, because you're digging into that, you're understanding the heart of those four, it helps you understand the fifth one as it's being written. It's not out of character. It's not out of a line. And so they want you to understand, okay, it's not just a bunch of stories here. It's not just a bunch of information that you, stuck, that you stick in there and that you do really well when you're doing a, a, you know, a Bible quiz. It's more than that. It's truth that causes you and your life and my life to align with the story that God's writing right now. Let me give you an example. Again, I didn't understand these things at the time, but they became seeds, if you will, in my life for what God was going to do. Again, I mentioned Dr. Blakemore. I'll never forget a situation came up. Now, this was the late 80s when I was in Chicago. And AIDS had just come on the scene. And there was much we did not know about AIDS. There was much we didn't understand, much we didn't understand about how it was transmitted, a lot of things. And then, of course, there was often this awful Christian response, which is, this is just the judgment of God to all you wicked people. Can I say to you that if God judges wicked people, we all get judged, okay? There's none of us that don't fall in that category of wicked people. So that's an easy cop-out to say, well, you know, that hurricane destroyed you or that disease destroyed you because of your wickedness. It isn't justification of sin. Sin is sin and God deals with sin. But the reality is it's too easy for us to just to lump a whole group or a whole location in and say, well, that's just the judgment of God. The fact is that we all deserve His judgment and would receive it apart from the work and the mercy of Jesus Christ. So, but in those early days, we didn't understand anything. I mean, back then we thought you could get AIDS by somebody sneezing on you who was HIV positive. You know, they sneeze on you, you get AIDS. It was a scary time in some ways. And there was someone who was a brand new believer, had just gotten saved in the church who was HIV positive. And there became this big uproar within the church as to whether or not they should be allowed to come to church. And how are we going to deal with this? And yes, I mean, there's the love of God, but there's also just practical common sense here and safety of everybody and the whole deal. And I remember, and many people left. The ministry that I was part of even made the decision they weren't going to allow any of us to participate in the church because of this situation. But I remember going back and because um, I never have been really good at following rules. And um, I went back and God's had to deal with me in that, by the way. I don't mean that lightly, but um, there is a submission that is necessary. But there's also a willingness to ask questions. And, and I began asking the questions because I was so blessed by this ministry and, and this little church down in Cicero. And I remember that night, Dr. Blakemore opening up the scripture and began to lay out for us how Jesus dealt with people who were sick 
As a matter of fact, there was a sickness in Jesus' day that was just as scary and just as unknown as AIDS was to us in the 80s. It was called leprosy. But they didn't realize then that, that you couldn't just get it by coming up against somebody. And so they would separate them out. Unclean, unclean. You had to call out if you were a leprous person. You had to live away from your family and away from society. And if you, were see, if you happened to see someone coming, you had to call, I'm unclean. And so he began to go through the scripture, just opening it up, how Jesus dealt with those who were sick. And I realized that day, and there was a certain submission that I had to have to the, the place, the authorities that were in my life at that time. But it was the beginning of the end, really, for me in that ministry. And really, I look back on it now and realize that began a process of me not being part of that ministry a whole lot longer. Because what a teacher does is they open up the Word and they take you through it. And it's not just a story and think, oh, yeah, that's bad. Those people had leprosy and they had to stay unclean and live away from their family and all. But then teachers like to bring it right into the 21st century, right where you live today. And it's not leprosy, now it's AIDS. It's not this situation that's 2,000 years removed. It's the one that's facing you right now. How do we live faithfully, accurately, according to this, in this day, in this age, where we are? These are really important. You, you can see why teachers are so vital to a body of believers. Because it's more than just, I want to give you some information. I want to teach you some facts. I want you to see a living God, and I want you to see how that living God who's still writing the story wants to line your life and my life to the consistency of his character and his nature. Do you think you might be a teacher? Do you have a passion? Do you have a passion for this word? Do you have a passion to get other people to have a passion for this word? Do you desire to see people not just know stories, but to see how those stories impact their life today? How God's still writing his narrative and you and I, our lives fit into that. Because this is the heart of a teacher. These fivefold giftings that we have that are laid out here. I want to I wanna share a couple thoughts with you. Number one I've been asked, do you think everybody has one of these? I think so. I don't know so. So I won't go so far as to say I know so. I know that you have a gifting from the Lord. If you're a believer, if the Holy Spirit indwells you, you have gifting, a gifting or giftings from the Lord. I know that. But there are other giftings other than the fivefold that are mentioned here in other places. But I believe that within the body, we see these working out in everyone. You say, well, then the next, the follow-up question is, well, Troy, I'm having a hard time identifying mine. I don't see where exactly where I fit into all this. And I have a couple suggestions for you. Number one, you simply go to the Lord and say, Lord, where do I fit in your body? Just a simple question. Ask him. Say, Lord, where do I fit? How have you made me? How have you gifted me? Or at least, how have you gifted me right now? 
I don't believe that most of these giftings necessarily have to be lifelong giftings. God changes them as he will. As a matter of fact, in 1 Corinthians, it says the Spirit gives as he wills. He gives them for the purpose that he wills, for the time that he wills. I believe he changes them. I know he's changed them in me. I had no desire, none whatsoever, to be a shepherd. None. I couldn't have been further from being wanting to be a shepherd, be a pastor. I still, we were talking about this back in the other room just a few minutes ago, and the thing, the growth and, and just the work of God in all of us over the last 20 years. Because this year we've been here 20 years. I didn't want to be a pastor. Margaret was reminding me, and I remember this. Noel left, and the church said, we think you should be a pastor. I was like, I'll help you guys find a pastor. I'm not called to be your pastor. I'm not called to be a pastor at all, I don't think. I don't want this job. That was a pastor's amen. I can tell by the sound of it. But some of you, even with your gifting, it's the same thing. You begin to see a little bit and say, I'm not sure I want this. <laughs> I got news for you. It's not up to you. The one who is sovereign knows. He does as he pleases. He does not seek our counsel or advice. And aren't you glad? Oh, if I had known then what I know now. We all say that, but you begin to see it. it you, you, you begin to see a little more clearly what God was doing and how he's putting all the pieces together. But you can't see it at the time. And so we fight against what's going on at the moment. It's natural because we can't see. I believe God gives giftings. I believe that he can change those giftings. He can give giftings at a certain time for a certain purpose. But he may move you into a different role and you need different giftings. And he can do that as well. I don't believe that we are identified, that our identity is found in our gifting. Don't go around, I'm a prophet. All right? That's my identity. That's who I am. No, you're a child of the king. That's your identity. You just haven't been given a gift. Somebody gives me a new shirt. I'm not going around, I'm a shirt. No, I'm not a shirt. It's just a gift. It's not who I am. So don't get caught up in that. Some of you may struggle a little bit and say, I, I don't, I can see this for other people. I can't see it for me. I was praying about this in particular. And I felt like the Lord's just prompted. He prompted with a passage and then this thought. The passage was, he couldn't do many marvelous works because of their unbelief. That was the passage that came to my mind. And then it seemed like the Holy Spirit just prompted my heart and said, address the fear and doubt. Don't worry about the gift. Address the fear and doubt. Fear and doubt warps our view. So it's impossible to see clearly because of fear and doubt. If you doubt the fact you have a gift, you doubt that God would even want to give you a gift. You doubt that you're that valuable. You're worth having a gift. Your fear of, well, if I do have a gift, what does that mean? What will God do? What will he require of me if I have this gift? If I know what it is, what am I supposed to do with it? 
How will that work out? What if I don't like the gift? What if other people don't like the gift? Can any of this resonate? Any of you ever have these thoughts? If I understand God's will for my life, will it really be good? Address the fear and the doubt. Although my friend Clark Whitten loves to say, wage war on doubt. Wage war on it. Declare all-out war on it. Why? Because the opposite of fear and doubt is faith. It's faith. It's believing. It's believing God when He says, when Jesus says, I ascended back up, but I gave gifts to the church as I ascended. If you're part of the church, He gave gifts to you. You have them. You say, Troy, I still don't see it real clearly. That's okay. So here's my last bit of counsel to you. Address the fear and the doubt, and then just start moving in the direction you think it is. You think you're a teacher? Say, Lord, how do you want me to, how do you want to prove that? How do you want to demonstrate that in my life? How do you want me to use that? Talk to others around you who know you, other believers. Say, hey, I feel like God might be stirring some of this. Do you see any of that in my life? Now, again, they're judging from the outside. They don't know your motive. They're judging from what they can see. But sometimes that's helpful. I, you know, it never dawned on me that I might be a shepherd or a pastor until people kept coming and saying, you know, you really are a shepherd. I'm thinking, what? I'm not a shepherd. I'm not. What are you? I don't know what I am, but I'm not a shepherd. And people kept saying this. You're a shepherd. No, I'm not a shepherd. And then I start going through all this. It's like, yeah, I really am a shepherd. <laughs> You really did wire me that way. But you know what? I didn't begin, and I still am, it's still unfolding for me. I'm 50, almost 53 years old. It's still unfolding. I'm still discovering. I haven't figured it all out yet. But I see it more clearly with each year that passes. You understand it more. But a lot of it has to do with dealing with the fear and the doubt. You've got to address the fear and the doubt. You must. There's no way around it. You say, well, what am I supposed to do with it? It sounds nice to wage war on it. What are we supposed to do with it? You literally do have to wage war on it. You take, you take what he has said. You take what he is saying and you grab hold of it. You claim it and you say, well, Lord, I will not let that go. I don't understand how this, 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 or all of that fits into what you said, but I claim what you said even though none of this seems to fit. How do you wage worn doubt? I've shared this with you before. I believe it to be true. I share it with you because I believe it's a part of what God does. By the grace of God and the Spirit at work within you, refuse to quit. Amen. Refuse to quit. I don't mean be obstinate and stubborn. I mean, when God has spoken, when he's opened a door and he has not released you, refuse to quit. I love that picture with Jacob. I will not let you go until you bless me. I won't let you go. All I've got, all I am, I'm hanging on to it. I'm going to wage war with your word against the words that seem to just flood into my heart and my mind. I'm going to recognize that fear... And, and can I make a distinction here? This is my opinion again. 
But I think Scripture would bear this out. Depending on how you define fear, there are probably some fears in our life in the natural world that are good. I have a fear of going up on top of this building and jumping off, okay? I have a fear. That's not necessarily a bad fear, all right? In the natural world, that fear will probably save my life. You, you ever gone to, we, we were this summer at the Grand Canyon with the kids, and you go to the edge and it's like, ooh, you know, you feel that stuff in your stomach. That's a fear, and it's not a bad one. Now, it can go, my kids would say sometimes that fear goes too far. They would say with their mother, they couldn't get within 20 feet of the edge. They couldn't even see the edge. And she'd be hollering, come back, you're too close. They're like, mom, we couldn't fall down and fall over if we wanted. We can't even see the edge. See, we can go too far. In it, but these fears help us. They protect us. The problem is, is we apply these same fears to God. And that's where the problem is. He says something and now I'm afraid. He says, I'm going to do this. Well, I don't know if I can believe you. He says, I want to do this. I want to use you in this way. I don't know if I can believe that. I'm not sure how that'll work out. Really what we're saying is, God, I don't know if I can trust you. That's our worry and fear. That's where God, I don't know that you can be trusted. No matter what's coming out of our mouth, what our heart is saying, I don't know that I can trust you. That's why he says, fear not. When you're dealing with him, fear not. In this world, there's some things you want to be afraid of. Have healthy respect for. But when we're dealing with him, I don't have to be afraid. I don't have to be afraid of anything with him. He is a good father. He does know the beginning from the end. He does have a plan. I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. I'm going to give you a hope and a future. I'm not giving you misery. That's not my plan for you. Wage war on your doubts and your fears. Invite other people to share their observations in your life. It's, it'll be helpful, especially if they're people who know the Lord, people you trust. Ask them to share. Again, theirs is not the final word, and they don't know what's going on inside of you, but it's helpful. Most of all, don't quit in this. You start in a direction it doesn't work. It fails. Laura and I were talking about this, this what, last week in some situations in our family and observing that there's probably some fear and insecurity, fear of failing that's going on. And Lori was talking to me, and I'm, you know, I'm just saying, we just keep on going. You just keep pushing. Lori's like, yeah, but, but don't you, in that fear of the, it might not work out or you feel insecure, and it's like, Everybody feels that way. There's no exceptions. None. Anybody in here never feel fear of failure, fear that it won't work out, that's not going to, that it's not going to, it's going to turn out badly. Anybody ever not struggled with that? Anybody. It's common to us all. Here's the good news is that he allows me to overcome my fear. He gives strength and grace to say, you know what? I'm not going to run away from it. I'm going to run toward it. I'm going to run into it. I want you to bow your heads with me.
We'll take more time, I'm sure, in the days ahead to try to help you unpack some of this with these giftings and where God is working and stirring within you. But today, I'd ask you just to ask him, Lord, how have you made me? How have you designed me for this season, this time of my life? Ask him to reveal to you. And as he does that, as he gives you a prompting or a thought, then be willing to engage with that prompting or thought. Begin to take action with that thing. You don't have to understand it all yet or how it all works out. Just start moving with it. If he says, you know, I really made you to be a teacher. You resonate with that. Then who and where are you teaching? You say, well, there's no place. Oh, there's always place to do that. Our problem is sometimes our perspective of what this gift looks like and how it should be used gets messed up. Say, you've made me a shepherd. There's all kinds of places to shepherd, folks. We are in a broken, hurting world. There's all kinds of places to shepherd. You say, I may not like it, but I'm an evangelist. We need evangelists. And those of us who aren't evangelists, we need to be challenged by evangelists. We need to remember the, the fundamental message of the gospel. The story begins with the fact that God so loved the world that he gave. That's the story. Everything in the Old Testament leads up to it. Everything that we have in the New Testament flows from it. But God so loved the world. The prophets. We need to hear. You say, I don't know how to use that. Prophets and apostles often are the ones like, I'm not sure exactly how to use that. If you feel like God's stirring that in you, we'll talk more about it in the days ahead. What does that look like? How do I use them? How does that fit within the body? But today, the first step is to say, Lord, I'm open. I believe that you have gifted me, that you have given gift or gifts, that you have a purpose and a plan for my life. And I surrender to it. I say, Lord, here I am. I'm yours. I surrender to it. Tell him today, Lord, by your strength, by your spirit at work in me, I will wage war on doubt and fear. I recognize it comes, but I'm going to wage war against it. I'm going to stand firm in what you say. And when I fall, because you will, when I fall, I'm going to get back up. I'm not quitting. A righteous man falls seven times, but he rises again. One of my favorite historical characters. I love history. You know that. One of my favorite characters in history is Abraham Lincoln because the man failed at everything. 
they ever tried except running for president. And yet he was probably in his day the most hated, unloved president we've ever had. And yet you can go anywhere in the world and people know who Abraham Lincoln is. Failure is not a big deal. Quitting is a big deal. Failure is not. So don't quit. Wherever you are in the journey, don't quit. Don't stop. Don't give up. Lord, today, among your people, would you reveal, make it clear or clearer if we think we know what our giftings are? Lord, make that clear. Bring clarity to it. If we don't know, then Lord, I'm asking you to reveal. Um, I'm asking, Lord, that you would stir this in us so much that we recognize this is important. It's important for the body to be what it's supposed to be, that all the parts are working together the way you designed. So help us, Lord. We offer our life. We give you our all. We recognize, Lord, we're nothing without you. But you think we're pretty special. I don't know why, Lord, but you do. And you have gifted us all. And you said, I have a purpose and plan for you. I chose you. I picked you. I have a plan for you. Lord, cause us to believe it. In the deepest part of who we are, make that revelation come alive. Lord, we thank you. We're going to serve you, Lord, no matter what, no matter where, no matter where it leads, we'll follow you. That's our declaration. That's my declaration. I thank you for the privilege. And I pray this in your name, Jesus.